everybody, welcome to the NC Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I am the founder of NC Real Estate, which includes its member club for property investors to come and build a profitable property portfolio that completely aligns with their goals. Thank you for coming back and joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure having you here. I have got one awesome, awesome, awesome guest. Just before we jump in with that, for those of you who've been following the story about my flat sale, which has been going on for too many weeks now, in fact, too many months now, safe to say at the time of recording, it completed yesterday. So I will delve into that at another time, but safe to say I'm going to stop going on about it for so much longer, but it's done. So I wanted to make that announcement because we are so, so relieved about that. It's been one of the most complicated deals that has ever happened to me. In my whole 10 years of being in the industry, it's been one of the lengthiest, one of the most frustrating, but we're there, we're over the line. So uh, over the next couple of weeks, I will let you know more about that. In the meantime, I want to introduce you to today's guest. His name is Adam Vickers, and he's been investing for just over 10 years, since 2008. He also runs a local property investment meeting in Reading, which has been running for over three years. And it's a great group of over 50 property investors who get together on a monthly basis with awesome speakers. And I'm hoping to drop into one of them this year. So hi, Adam. Thank you for coming and joining me. Thank you for having me. We're really uh, <laughs> pleased to be here. Thanks, Natasha. So today we're going to be talking specifically about uh, joint venture partners and investors. But before we jump in there, I want to know, how did you get started in property investing? Sure. So, yeah, I, I, I grew up in uh, a family of builders. My father was a builder and my mum used to help out with the business. They had about a team of about 15, 16 guys working for them. And dad used to go and do quite a bit of uh, building works. So I grew up around property from very, very um, early stages in my life. And then the recession occurred in the 90s and unfortunately that wiped out most of the business. Um, but I, I was hooked on property and of course, property has always helped out. Uh, my, my family. So I, I actually became a teacher. Uh, I taught music for a number of years. But during that time, I started building my portfolio because I had all seen the, the pros and, and all the benefits of, of investing in property. Mm-hmm. So unlike my parents, I didn't go down the building and development side, but I, I very much have a head for numbers and figures. And I focused more on the investing side. So that's how I got started. Brilliant. So what does your property portfolio look like right now? Yes, yeah, so I started off with good old buy-to-lets to begin with, mm-hmm. and now then went into HMOs. Then I've now gone into, I still do HMOs, but I'm looking for projects which have, um, you, you can increase the capital, so that's just side extensions or a bit of planning gain. We've just had some planning gain come through mm-hmm. for another three-bedroom house on another buy-to-let property we've got. Um, I've got some service accommodation in the Midlands. We're taking on management of properties. Uh, we've been doing that for the past couple of years. So really, we're everywhere. And um, my role within the company now, I'm expanding my company at the moment. We've got five five team members now. Mm-hmm. And my role is, is really looking more towards development and more, more bigger commercial projects. Fantastic. So are you sticking, I know you said you had some in the Midlands, uh, serviced accommodation. Whereabouts are you buying serviced accommodation in the Midlands? It isn't actually buying it at the moment. Okay. So service 
exhibition has always been for me it's something that I've wanted to trial so we've been trialing out some stuff in the Midlands some really really small stuff some small one-bedroom flats there mm-hmm. very very low cost to get in just to try and get the feelers out and perfect the process I'm always very systemized in my approach with with any investment that I do so we've been running that for about a year and we've built up a great relationship with a couple of developers who go around the whole of the Midlands building out blocks and they're going to be giving us first refusal so we we intend to be taking on another, another 16 places in the Midlands by the end of the year and just continue really okay. uh, now we've built all the systems up on a few of them and yeah just expand that section of the business like all the various different other areas we've got going yeah okay fantastic so Reading is really where you're investing yes yeah very much I, I always like to buy in Reading so I, I don't really do any rent to rent or essay here in Reading I like to buy because there's there's so many juicy projects and it's such a good market to, to buy in mm-hmm. and so what appeals about Reading is it because you live there or is it because it is such a great investment. Yeah, it, definitely. Um, living in an area, you, you're always going to understand the area better. And, and I work with quite a number of investors. A lot of investors come along to my property meeting and a lot of them are, are newer. And uh, the areas where people fall down when they go to invest, it's always based on the emotional side. And mm-hmm. if people are trying to, I've seen so many people try to invest in other areas that they're not familiar with and all the numbers stack and all, all of the data on the sheet stacks. But it really buying property a lot of the time there's a a strong emotional side and that's where I see people fall down or they don't execute quick enough so I invest in Reading primarily because I feel comfortable with the area and I understand the market very well here uh, and and my particular area very well so that that's one reason but also such strong capital growth over the past five years we had 42 percent that has petered off just with the current financial climate mm-hmm. with no resolution to Brexit. But um, in terms of the, the tenant demand, I mean, I've had one month's worth of void on any of my properties in the past 11 years. So I've never struggled from that perspective, really strong rental demand. I've had great capital growth, especially in 2010 to 2012, when there was an uplift in the market. Mm-hmm. And the demographic in Reading, it, it's mainly your mid-20s to to your late 30s, a lot of tech jobs. There's some seriously big players in in, in terms of employers. So you've yep. got Oracle, Microsoft, British Gas, and so on. Heathrow, uh, with with their um, new runway coming in. There's, there's so many different things going on. And, and Reading's been voted numerous times as one of the best places to live based upon house prices in relation to you know, earnings and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So there's really, really strong demand here for, from so many different angles, a strong amount of capital growth and a strong amount of rental demand. And that's that's what I like about the place. Yeah, fantastic. So let's get into the more technical stuff of funding, because I know that was something that we really wanted to talk about today. So how did you start funding your property investments? Was that through savings and then you've built it? Or, or have you always funded using JV partners and investors? Yeah, actually. So when, when I first started, um, I got a bit of a helping hand from from my parents. They mm-hmm. they gave me um, a bit of a deposit money, and the first house that I bought was a three bedroom, nineteen um, sixties semi detached house. Which subsequently I I rented the rooms out and I built a flat on the side, and rented it all out. And and by building the flat, the flat cost me around twenty five thirty thousand. The uplift on the property was seventy thousand. And because I was getting strong rental income, it was covering the mortgage and giving me a profit. Mm-hmm. So. Subsequently, thereafter, I by by adding that value, that's all I did thereafter. So I borrowed against that first property 
use the deposit to go and get another property. And literally, I've just done that again and again and again and built up the portfolio I have now, which is I've got 10 properties myself now. And, and I've never used any of my own money um, in terms of I've just uplifted the capital in a project and then borrowed more more against the, the, uh, the asset. Now, in Reading, the prices back when I started, you'd look at around 200,000 for a three bed semi-detached. Now you're looking nearer 350 and above. And yeah. so subsequently you need a lot more in deposits. The mortgage companies won't lend out as much based upon the rental income you're getting. Mm-hmm. And so I had to, you know, I had to, I, I came to a, a crossroads and it was either that I had to find an area where it was cheaper to invest in, or I had to deal with the problem of, of having more money, bigger deposits, to buy here in Reading and so I thought well you know what I'm not going to give up or, or, or trade off the um, trying to find more money versus tenant issues being far away from the property not understanding the market all the other variables mm-hmm. with large property that can go wrong and so I started to, to learn how to raise finance um, legally and ethically and subsequently I now work with JB Partners to acquire properties in Reading and so I've been doing that for about the past four years. And um, that, that's why I'm attracted to working with JV partners, really, just because it is difficult to buy in the if, you, if you've got less than, say, 120, 130,000 to put into a project. Yeah. So how are you finding JV partners? That's the first thing I'll ask. And then we'll go into that trust relationship thereafter. But how, how do you find them? JV partners are interesting. They, I found a lot of them through my networking events. So I would advise anybody who's looking for JV partners, definitely keep going to your networking events and mm-hmm. keep talking about what you do. I mean, I've had a lot of JV partners approach me rather than me trying to find them. Yeah. And it's because they get to see you on a regular basis. They get to see how you're growing and developing. Uh, warts and all, by the way, mm-hmm. um, obviously you're going through and what you need to deal with. And, and people really, really like that. They can see that there's a human side to you as well. It's not completely infallible and you know, not like a lot of people on online who claim that everything is, is an easy <laughs> run. Um, I'm sure you'll be well aware. And so I get um, a lot of investors who like the way and, and my approach to things. And, and really, I would say a lot of it has come through networking events or through word of mouth. So JV partners I've worked with have then spoken to their friends and family or work colleagues and they've come and had a chat. And yeah, it's just really snowballed from there. And so now I, I have... I have more JV partners than than I do deals, so they're they're gradually kind of in a queue, and and it's great. It's given me access to quite a lot of funding, and um, you know, my job now is just to go and find projects for them to invest in. So, are you buying them for you, or are you um, how are you structuring this deal? Sure. So, there's 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 two or three different methods. I'll say there's three. Mm-hmm. So, I, I have three different types of investors. I have what what I'd like to call the um, the the just loan money. Quite frankly, it's forty fifty thousand pounds they've got. They want to loan it out. It's six or seven percent interest rates I pay, and also just with regard to the FCA regulations, you can only do that with retail investors. So those retail investors who want to lend me some money, I use that for refurbishments or or um you know extensions and stuff. So so that's my first investor, the loan type investor. Then um, the second type of investor I have is joint the joint venture yeah. investor who be high net worth or sophisticated investor. And I will save the big juicy, juicy projects for them. I don't really deal source projects on occasionally I will, but the vast majority of the time it, it's, it's so complex to get a good deal mm-hmm. in Reading. There's so many different elements that you have to line up. It's not worth me selling it on 
for a two three percent fee it's just not that there's I, I, the projects i buy there's usually 70 80 000 worth of capital in there's no point in me selling that on for, for a small sourcing fee and so the joint venture um partners that's where they will put the funding i will bring everything else and we own the asset 50 50 uh, and we we own the you know the rental income will be split 50 50 so when we go to sell the project they will of course get their deposit back and then the profits after that will be split 50 50 okay and so do you pay them any interest on that uh, amount that they put in so you although no. you're saying you you'll get your deposit back first you're not giving them any additional uplift on that no, no, no. If if they go and put in say one hundred twenty thousand into a project, the usual the projects that I invest in, like I say, they they as a minimum they're eight thousand worth of capital in them. Mm-hmm. It's usually higher than that, and so the return that they will get on their money within a twelve months or or two year period is a lot higher. And so I don't pay them interest on that whilst okay. it's invested in the project. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so those are the first two, and what's your third? Yeah, the third one is is angel investors. So I work with a couple of funds and a couple of angel investors uh, and they're brilliant because they understand terms very very quickly they don't really need any hand holding through the process and they're just very keen to get their money out there as quick as possible into projects and they charge extremely reasonable rates um, there are some funders who want you know ridiculous rates and blood of, blood of your firstborn child and, and ridiculous things like that but quite frankly I, I don't like dealing with those those type of characters <laughs> So it takes me a while before I sit, sit comfortably with the angel investor. But yeah, I've got a couple of really, really good, solid, solid people I work with who are really understandable. And um, yeah, you know, we, we pay them good, good rates of interest on their money when it's utilized in a project. And then we give them a good, good return on their, their um, capital once we've sold the project as well. So yeah, they're, they're very, very good in the sense of if you need to execute quickly. Yeah. Um, but there's pros and cons to, to each one of the groups. So it just depends on the project that I'm dealing with. Depends on, on the group that I'll go toward. Yeah, I can understand that. And because angel investors, actually, I had it in my mindset that they were traditionally, they invested in your business rather than they invest in properties. So my investors yeah. who I use for my projects and when we're doing developments, very much are just individuals who want to do the joint venture for whatever it is that they they want to do whereas angel investor i never thought actually it's eye-opening for me today i never thought to go to them yeah it, it could be a misuse of the term um from from my side but it, when i say angel investor very much it's somebody with with a very very large amount of capital with a reasonable interest rate they very much want you to get on with the job but they yeah. they do almost feel like a business so they're not necessarily investing in your business per se but they want you to to head buying numerous units say for example for them and that might be like a separate element like you've got a separate spv where you're buying numerous Mm -hmm. properties within that spv for them um and and so you yeah i suppose there's a blend between the two but that it's it's that type of investor who has very very large sums of capital uh who who just want the money out there earning them yeah only quickly and they don't they don't not overly concerned about lots of the other processes they want to see the detail they want to see that you've got a good team they want to see that you've got insurances in place if you were to die or you've got project management um, costs there so that you can hand it over to a third party project manager if if you suddenly become ill or something like that they want to see very much those those business aspects but they Mm -hmm. still want to invest just in the in the the asset class that is property Mm, interesting yeah i 
I know that that they would they kind of live off their angel investments. That's why that's kind of their business scheme. Interesting. Yeah. So where are you? Are you still finding those people at your networking events as well? You, you know, it's it's really interesting because those those character types watch you from afar. Okay. So quite often the way that they that they've approached me very quickly here's a card come and have a conversation mm-hmm. they don't usually hang around for particularly very long and you don't you don't always spot them in the room so that they're very very elusive bunch shall we say and and they will they will look into you and do tons of due diligence and you won't even know it so i i find that just Trying to find out where they are can be difficult. I would assume that they might be at golf clubs and everything else like that. But um, yeah, they, they've they've approached me so far, so I, I don't have any magic formula. <laughs> That's fair enough. So, how are you building trust with these people that you're working with? Because I know for me, um, I it, I really have to have a close relationship with someone to even start working with them to use their money. And that's something that's been built up over years, not just a matter of months. And that's just my personal preference because of how I work. And I want to make sure that things are um, completely transparent and I know the agenda of the other person. How do you deal with that? It's exactly the same, exactly what you've just said. Yeah. I say to any investor I work with who wants to become a joint venture partner, that they have to spend at least 15, 16 hours worth of FaceTime with me. And they have to sing to the same values that I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I invest in property for my family. That's the background I've come from. That's what I do. And so I won't jeopardize any of that for, for example, uh, a JV partner who is just super keen on putting their money in trying to turn it around in six months pull all their money back out and and there's not any long-term relationship you know the types and yeah. I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of crap education out there that which which proclaims that you can make lots of money very very quickly in the property game <laughs> salesman rubbish and you get a lot of investors who are like that who have unrealistic expectations and unrealistic ideas of returns and for me i like to get to know I, I re, the one underlying factor about whether I work with an investor is, is I, I look at them and I go, do I feel like I could leave either one of my children with you? Um, and and if I have to get to that point before I yeah. work with them because it's not, once again, it's not the logical side. It's not the data. It's not the numbers on the page that matters. It matters about, can I have a conversation with this person over a desk? Because ultimately there are going to be, um, you know, there can be problems from time to time. Mm-hmm communication and I, I like to like you get to know them over time and, and build, build that relationship and trust I mean ultimately you're, you're essentially going into you're not that far off really from a marriage in, in a lot of things you're going to be stuck together with a large asset with a lot of money with a lot of risk involved for a period of time you need, you need somebody who's got their head screwed on and somebody you can have a great relationship with Yes. And who doesn't lose the plot over small things? I've often seen investors who come talk to me about this kind of stuff and they're getting wound up by the little small details. But actually, sometimes you just have to look at the big picture and think, okay, well, how do do I get out of this situation? How do I make this situation work for me? Um, And and that, again, for me, is a very telltale sign about whether that person would even be worth working with or not. Yeah, exactly. I I, when when I have my conversations, the first three conversations will be very much about, oh, what do you do? Mm-hmm. How, you know, what are your values, et cetera. The, the next few conversations will be, uh, I, I make my investors do dummy runs with with particular projects. So I put them in front of them and say, how would you approach this? Or what would you do? Um, and then I, 
I have um, example scenarios where things might go wrong and I'd like to see their approaches, mm-hmm. That's a really how they would handle things. And uh, it gives me a good idea because in this game, like, like any game, talk is cheap. People can say whatever they want to say, but I, I'm very like, it's my background in teaching. I really like to watch people's body language, listen to the tone in their voice and really get a good understanding of the, of the real them rather than the, almost the on show them and um yes. i think that and trust and yeah i'm the exact same as you yeah so I, one piece of advice i would say and i see it happen too often at my networking event is is i hear of people trying to do joint ventures very very early on with people that they may well have met at another property event for example but they've only known each other for two or three hours and, and they all seem super keen to get going. Well, really, the measure of a good joint venture partnership is is when when everything hits the fan, are you still there, able yeah. to talk to each other? The, the exciting part is always going to be there. Of course, it is it's exciting and it's new. That's not what you want to be measuring. You want to measure what happens in the worst case scenario. And I've always been that way inclined. Yes, because these things take time to build as well. That's that's it. Like that's that's one of the things that is big about property. I mean, um, as I was saying at the start, I've just had a deal that has taken what eight months from start, yeah. ah, and it, it's been horrendously frustrating. Um, but again, with property, that happens because you're dealing with other people, and that's one of the big, big, big things because you can never control what a buyer or what a seller is going to be doing because they have their own agendas. And so you have to work with that to a certain extent and they can change their mind at any time. And it's about how you deal with that and make sure your whole team is on board too. Exactly right. Exactly that. I had a deal with a JV partner. We had a couple of deals which unfortunately fell through. And then the deal that we completed on in December last year, it took 12 months to get through because Mm -hmm. there were seven or eight people in the chain. So exactly that. It should have been a two, three months project. And it ended up being a lot longer. But as I explained to the JV partner, I said, well, we've got it for a very good price. The land values in the area are increasing. So I said, we may as well wait because we're earning money because we've got it all secured on a contract mm-hmm. anyway, at, at, you know, set purchase price. So what's the problem? And he's, he's a lovely guy. I get on really, really well with him. And um, yeah, he, he loved that approach. So sometimes I find that actually re- reframing it a lot of the time uh, for people in, in, in different lights and looking from the positive and the pragmatic side can, can always help. But it, but exactly, exactly right. There are so many variables in this game from financial markets to exactly human nature in itself, which, well, who knows what happens at any one point in time with that. And trying to keep it all together uh, requires a lot of, um, a lot of thought and a lot. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Patience. Absolutely. So we're going to wrap this podcast up in a few minutes, but, Adam, can I ask you top five property investment tips? I'll put you on the spot with this one, but what? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, Top five property investment tips. Only invest in an area that you know, like the back of your hand. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, make sure you build long-term lasting relationships and and appreciate the fact that it could take you months before you get, for example, a JV partner or a decent broker or, or anything like that. But realize you've got to put in the graft and effort uh, for in, for a number of months, and that may not involve you getting paid. So that that's number two. Mm-hmm. Number three, the property game depends on which part of the property game you're in, but usually it's a bit like feast and famine. You'll find that you spend tons of money out on a project, and you're not going to get your money back for eighteen months. So make sure that you really focus on what I would say um, trying to run your business on the bare minimum uh, as possible as well. 
Uh, number four, make sure you treat everybody in the process with respect. That ranges from tenants to brokers to the cleaners to gardeners to, to anybody. Make sure that you, you get on really well and make sure that everybody's heard and listened to. Mm-hmm. You'll find you have far fewer issues, whether that's management or buying or anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and number five, um, property investment. I suppose I should really focus actually on property investment tips. Uh, the best way, the best deals that I've ever got was from understanding people's needs and giving them a solution that, that suited their needs mm-hmm. too often do i see investors walking in going how can i get it below market value how can i reduce this how can i do that well actually it's got nothing to do with you it's got to do with the seller so if you suit their needs they will come down in price they will give you longer terms they will allow you to do options so many other things if they feel like they're cared for and listened to so that is where i get the majority of my deals from from just taking the time to care and listen and that's with agents and with, with sellers alike so uh, just spend the time trying to help others more than you help yourself and and the universe will pay you back in kind i like that that's a really good tip to end on well thank you adam thank you, thank you so much for coming on this podcast i appreciate it so much no worries thank you very much for having me Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening today. If you want to find out more, head on over to my website, www.ncrealestate.co.uk, where you can have a look at all of my blogs and you can listen to more of these podcasts. So don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive comment. I want to hear from you what you're enjoying and what you want to hear more of. Thank you again for joining us today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.